Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning services to you each and every week. We are currently in our sermon series, Stories of Christmas. In this series, we are walking through Luke 2 and the stories of different people who played a role in the Christmas story. From Mary and Joseph to the shepherds and the Magi, each of these stories will culminate in the birth of Jesus. So join us as we share the stories of Christmas. Good morning. Uh, my name is Chase, and I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. And so, which means I get to serve on a team of people that that serve our preschoolers through high schoolers. We work with parents, and and our greatest desire is to help your kids um, discover what it means to know and follow Jesus. So I am so grateful for our team. I'm grateful that you trust your kiddos with us. And it really is an honor to be here today as we continue this series, Stories of Christmas. And I love Christmas time. I love everything about Christmas time. We're having so much fun in the season with our two girls. We have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, um, and it's been so much fun. But we are in this series, Stories of Thanksgiving. And one thing about this series that, that, that I know true of you and true of me is that we love stories. You love stories, and I love stories. Just think for a moment your favorite book. What's your favorite book? What is your favorite movie? Okay, if you were to go home right now and sit on the couch and flip on your favorite movie, what would that movie be? What could you watch over and over again? What is it? Is it maybe a Star Wars movie? Maybe uh, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and you're, you're into the whole series and, and, uh, and the battle between good and evil. You just love it. Or, or maybe it is one of the 47 Marvel movies. Right? Um, it's the Avengers. It's uh, my personal favorite is Iron Man. He, I know he doesn't have, really have a superhero power or anything. He just invents stuff, but I think that's so cool. Uh, or maybe it's Lord of the Rings. You're a big Lord of the Rings person. The battle between uh, also good and evil and Frodo and Sam on the journey to save Earth. And it's amazing. And then maybe you're a Braveheart fan. I mean, how many Braveheart fans are in the room right now? Uh, yes. Okay. You know the line. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our... Thank you. Yes. It makes you get so pumped up and fired up. Let's do it. Or Top Gun. Anybody a Top Gun fan? Maverick. Don't think. Just do. Right? That's how I live my life? No, really. <laughs> it's not really. Uh, or, or maybe it's um, a love story. This is my wife's favorite movie. It's Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. I just love it every time she makes me sit through it. You know? <laughs> I just love it. Um, or is it Chronicles of Narnia? Chronicles of Narnia, where Aslan saves humanity, the story, the gospel story of Jesus coming to save earth. But chances are that the reason why they're your favorite movies is because they have a great story. They have a great plot. They have some characters in it that are main characters. There's some conflict. There's a great setting and all of those things. And the reason why they're so compelling is why? It's because they inspire us. That's one. They motivate us. And, and also, they stir up some emotions within us. And when you watch a great movie, what do you typically do? You typically cry. You typically laugh. And all those motions, you have a swing of emotions through the, through the movie. And it, it's really incredible to watch. But I believe the greatest movies, the absolute greatest movies, cause something to change within us for the better. 
I believe those are the greatest movies that we could possibly ever watch. And one of the the greatest things I love about the Bible is the way the Bible tells stories throughout. And and get this, man, this Bible was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, by by three different languages on three different continents, and it all has the same storyline throughout the whole narrative of the Bible of redemption and restoration of God seeking out his people and wanting to have a relationship with his people and blending the two. So we see the Bible having story after story of God telling us who he is and what he desires for humanity. And I love this series that we're in, the Christmas stories, because we're looking at the different narratives in the Christmas journey and the Christmas story that makes up the greater good news. And, and so we have Mary and Joseph and the shepherds who are kind of considered the lowly. And then you have the wise men who are t- today, we're talking about the wise men. And the next week is Jesus. And, and let me just tell you, this is a group of people that make up this incredible storyline, Christmas storyline. And they're the unlikely group of people. I love that about the storyline of the, the, the Christmas story because I place myself in that storyline. I, I feel like I'm the unlikely. I don't know about you, but maybe you feel like you're the unlikely. Like, God, why would God choose to use you? Why would God choose to, 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 to speak to me or, or to use me in any way possible? Maybe you find yourselves, I, I fall in that group. I can relate to that because I'm unlikely. And today we're going to look at an unlikely group of people called the wise men. And so with that, I'm just going to read the story. So we're going to open up to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read 1 through 12, verses 1 through 12. But with any great movie and any great story, uh, what, what happens in, in the movie? You also have something, that, a musical score, right? Something that brings drama and adds drama. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to add some drama to the reading of Scripture, if that's okay. And so um, hit it. <laughs> Setting the tone. We're on a journey. Here we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and a star that they had seen when it rose. They went went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Will you pray with me? 
Father, we are incredibly thankful for today. God, our prayer, our one prayer today is we're, we're forever changed by your words. Uh, God, thank you for using your words uh, to speak to us. God, you, your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. So God, we, we pray that our ears and our minds are attentive to what you have for us today. And we're forever changed by them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so today we're going to be talking about three big ideas. Three big ideas about the wise men. And the first is their identity. Who were these guys? Where did they come from? Um, why did these guys show up on, on the scene? One thing that's really apparent in the text is we don't have much information about who these wise men were. Now, if, if Luke were writing this text, we would probably have a lot more detail because he was a physician and he was really detailed in his writing. But, but we have Matthew. Matthew wrote with broad strokes. And so you get, get kind of themes of, of what's going on. You get kind of broad strokes of the narrative line of the Christmas story, but that's all we really get. There's, there's nothing really that identifies them in any way other than what we're familiar with, right? What, what, what we're familiar with, we sort of leave it up to legend and tradition to fill in much of the, the story of the wise men and this particular part of the story. And, and you might be surprised by how much of this story has been filtered through contemporary religious expression over the years. So, so a lot of uh, artists and a lot of poets and a lot of painters have painted these things. Let me show you a couple of those right now, uh, right behind me. So you have all these things. And so there's a lot of representations through the arts and through literature that's painted these pictures. And, and we typically, when you hear songs about them, you, you see paintings, uh, they're typically um, illustrated of three guys that were riding on camels wearing spectacular clothing, right? Whether a turban or, or a, a crown um, or, or kudos to these guys, by the way, if they traverse across the desert wearing spectacular clothing. I mean, I, I have never ridden on a camel before. I don't know if you have. I know Pastor Jason has. But, um, but I've never, but I imagine it's really difficult to ride across the desert on a camel wearing athletic gear, much less spectacular clothing, right? And so these guys, kudos to these guys for doing it, if that's what they did. But the Bible really never says there's three of them either. Why do we say that there's three? Because of the gifts. That they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But nothing in the text would indicate that there was three of them. There could have been two of these guys given three gifts. There could have been 12 of them that gave three gifts. We don't know. What we do know is that he probably traveled with an entourage of people. Okay, more than likely, it would have been about 50 or 60 people, maybe even more, they travel with. So it was a, a quite a, a sight to see them traverse across the desert into this town of Bethlehem. What we do know is this. They came from the east. More than likely, they came from, a, from Persia, which is modern-day Iran, or Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. What we do know is they were also called Magi. Magi, the Latin for Magi, means this, Persian priest or wise man. The Greek for it is magos, which is Persian priest or sorcerer. It's where we get the word magic, by the way. Magic, if you're curious. These guys paid particular attention to the stars, and they gained an international reputation for astrology, if you didn't know that. And they were, which astrology back then was highly regarded as a science. These guys were also considered to be advisors to kings. They would have written, they would, they would have read about um, Old, Old Testament uh, prophets. 
uh, by the guy, by, guy by the name of Daniel. If you guys know Daniel, Daniel, they would have read about Daniel. And see, Daniel was also an advisor to the king. He was considered a wise man as well. If you don't know Daniel's story, um, Israel was being disobedient. So God allowed Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was ruler over Babylon during the time, to conquer and invade Judah. And so when they conquered and invaded Judah, they took, they took people for themselves. They took servants and they took them with them. And Daniel was one of those guys. He was a young boy at the time. And, and somehow he worked his way up through the ranks through God's favor. And he became an advisor to the king. And Daniel chapter 5 verse 11 says this, that he would have been chief of magicians, enchanters, astrologers, diviners. He would have been the chief of the Magi. These guys also would have been Gentiles. They weren't Jewish. They were Gentiles. They would also um, been monotheistic, meaning they only worshipped one God. But here's the thing to keep in mind. As they, or um, also, well, there's a lot of assumptions you gather around this idea of of the wise men that are totally inaccurate. But let me tell you, it fits nicely into a Christmas song, does it not? We three kings of Orient are. Like, that makes sense. Like, it would be a really bad song to be able to put in we undetermined number of kings of some undeclosed location somewhere east of Judea. That's a hard song to write. (laughs) But it fits nicely into this Christmas song that we've created over time. And here's the thing that I want you to know about the text. The main things in the text are the plain things in the text. Get that. The main things in the text are the plain things. That's easy to remember. It rhymes. Here's the other thing is that these guys were wise men from the east. That's pretty simple, okay? They're wise men from the east. So that's what we know for sure within the text. Now, somehow these guys believed enough to find it important for them to travel a long way and show up to King Herod's court and ask him a question. So they, the second thing is they inquired. The inquiry. So they asked this, where is the one to be born king of the Jews? What led to this inquiry? Why did this group of wise men go on this journey to go to ask this question? Because they somehow came to a conviction that this significant king was, to, was born. Somehow. They had a connection with the Jews. Like I said before, these wise men would have studied the prophets and the prophecies written in the Old Testament. So, so get this. As they're studying the movement of the stars, they're going out and they're studying the stars. They're doing it under the backdrop of Scripture. You see, they believe that somehow, that some way, the cosmic forces had an impact on life and history. So when they looked up at the stars, they made deductions about what they observed. You see, their science had theological input to it. Their science had theological input to it. it. They were making deductions based on divinity. Okay, I want you to get that today as we we study through the wise men. They make deductions based on divinity. You see, their science and faith would have been connected as they were just trying to figure things out. These guys, that's all they were trying to do. They're just trying to figure things out. Have you been in a place where you're just trying to figure things out? Maybe you're sitting in the room right now and somebody invited you and you're just trying to figure this all out. Like, What are some big questions that maybe you have asked in your day? Have you asked this question before? Why am I here on this earth? Like, what purpose do I have living here? Why, why am I placed in this time of history in the family that, that I'm placed into? Or maybe this question, why does it always feel like there's something more to this life? 
why is this something within me just at, keeps asking? There's got to be something more to, to what's going on in this life. And this is humanity, by the way. This is what we, we've all asked at some point in time or another. You actually might be asking that question today because you want to know more. You want to do more. You want to live for more. And ultimately, those questions are answered with a C.S. Lewis, what he said. And he said this. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable ex- explanation is that we're made for a different world. We're made for another world. You know, this is what these wise men were trying to do. They're, they're just trying to figure things out. And so they went on this quest. They went on this journey to be able to discover what was going on. And one night in their wise men business meeting that they had held outside, I don't know where, they gathered together in a field and they started looking up at the stars. And they're trying to notice something about the stars, observation. And then they, they begin to take note of, hey, man, that looks a little bit different than, than all the rest of the stars. Maybe that star is just a, a little bit brighter than all the rest of the stars. And then they decided to go on this journey. I don't know what that conversation was like whenever they had that conversation with their wives, if they did have wives back then, right? Hey, babe, I saw a star, and I've got to travel a long way, and I'm going to be gone a long time, maybe 40 days. How do you think their wives would react? They'd be like, here, take the kids with you. I'm not going to (laughs) be. But think about this, 800 miles they would have traveled. If you you took a camel, let's say they were riding camels maybe, 20 miles a day. It would take them 40 days to get there. All because of a star? Are you kidding me? Why would they, why would they do that? That doesn't make sense. But I want you to understand, they are combining science. They're combining visions and dreams along with God's word, along with scripture, along with the text of the Old, Test- Old Testament prophets that were written nearly 600 years before this moment. So they read Daniel's prophecies that said this, Daniel said this, in those times of the, in the, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will, be cr- it will crush all the, all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. I want you to understand something here because as they read through Daniel's words, they were, they were thinking, man, what was, what was going on in that day? What would cause him to prophesy? This was a future thing. So, so Daniel was constantly looking for a day when the people of God would receive and possess a kingdom with a new king, by the way, that would be forever, that would not end So Daniel was getting information from God, and he's telling these people, look, guys, there's going to be a day where God's kingdom is going to cover the earth like the the sea covers the earth. And these wise men are reading this. They're like, man, with great anticipation, man, there's going to be a kingdom. There's going to be a new king that's going to be here to establish a forever kingdom. Then they would have read prophecies like Balaam. The prophecy of Balaam in Numbers 24 says this, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of the one whose eyes see clearly, the prophecy of the one whose ears, who hears the, the word of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from Almighty, who falls prostrate, whose eyes are open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Or prophecies of Isaiah 9-6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And these will be his, his royal titles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
and Prince of Peace. So really, we can begin to understand why these guys are putting two and two together. It's beginning to make sense for them, really. I mean, how can they go on this journey? But, but let me tell you, this is not uncommon for us. And here's why I say it's not uncommon for us. Now, I'm thinking about the stars and all these things. Because God stirs in the hearts of uh, minds of people using elements that may seem unusual to us. That may seem unusual to us in order that it will begin an investigation for the sole purpose of drawing us back to himself. This was the story of the wise men, I believe. Is that they, God was using all these elements to draw, draw the wise men to himself. And you know what their response was? Sorry, go back. I don't want to miss this point. But God oftentimes uses unusual to draw us to himself. You don't miss that point. Have you ever experienced something like this before? God using something unusual, maybe something you heard, maybe something you've seen. Maybe it wasn't a star that you saw in the sky that was brighter than the rest of the stars, but maybe it was a billboard. Maybe it was a song that played on the radio and you were listening and caused you to kind of ask questions. Or maybe it was somebody out of the blue invited you to church and you showed up to church and it caused an investigation within you to go on a search and you began to question and ultimately that led you to a deeper knowledge of God and who he is and you know what their response was after after hearing this after seeing all those things and on the backdrop of God so you know what their response was let's stay let's not go explore it's not that important no, they said, let's go. Let, let's go. And when they arrived at King Herod's court, they inquired. They asked questions. And scripture is clear when it comes to our inquiries. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Let me just tell you, for those in here that maybe are asking questions, or maybe that you, you were here for the first time, or maybe, maybe you're just trying to figure things out. Those who seek will find. Those who seek will find. These wise men went on a journey 800 miles just to, just to find this king. And, and here's, here's another thing I want you to know, that God will always honor and respond to our inquiries. He will always do that. When we truly investigate, when we truly ask questions, when we do that with a sincere investigation, you know what it leads to? It leads to discovery. We're going to discover some things about ourselves. We're going to discover some things about God and who he is and other people around us. So this big idea of discovery, what did they discover? There are four things that I believe they discovered as they made this journey. The first thing is this. They discovered that they're in the wrong place. They're in the wrong place. They thought they were in the right place. They thought they were going to the palace where kings were supposed to be. But, but they, they began to ask questions. They began to inquire. They began to, to search. And so they were like, we traveled a long way. Where is this king? Where this king was to be born? And what they found was a bunch of people who were clueless, antagonistic, or maybe even puzzled, and they quickly realized, man, we are in the wrong place. And, and I'm asking this question. At what point did they get confused? And did they simply stop following the star? 
Have you ever asked that? Did they simply stop? Did, did, did they get close to the city and thought, okay, we've got it from here? Our, our knowledge, our own knowledge is telling us that the king has got to be born in the, in the palace there. So that's naturally where we're going to go, but that's not where they found them. Did they, did they stop following the star and start following their own knowledge about where the king was supposed to be or could be? I don't know, but I have to tell you, that is really not how anyone comes to Jesus. It's not. It's not by your own merit. It's not by your own ideas. In fact, it's the complete opposite. It's by humility and surrender how we come to Jesus and follow Jesus. You see, they were looking for a king, but they found out the king wasn't in the palace. He was somewhere different. The second thing they found out is the people who should have cared didn't care. There were chief priests involved. There were Pharisees involved. People who had studied the Old Testament law. People who would, who would have known the prophecies. In fact, Herod, Herod asked, hey, do you know where they're at? And the chief priest says, well, sure we do. It's in Bethlehem. They're in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. These guys knew, but they weren't willing to travel six miles to go and worship this king. Religious professionals who had solid knowledge of who the king was and where he was going to be, but they didn't worship. They had knowledge, but they didn't go worship. Could this be true of cultural Christianity today? Cultural Christianity revolves around this idea of a group of people who have all the answers and know all the answers and and may be able to say the right things, but have no personal relationship with King Jesus. They may do all the right things, they may say all the right things, but they live in such a way that it's, it's like they don't know him at all. See, there, there has to be some sort of shift for us where we, we move from Jesus being an idea to us knowing about Jesus, to him having knowledge about Jesus, to, to Jesus being personal to us. Personal. See, this is exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. If you remember his story, he was, he was a Pharisee. He knew all the answers. He could quote the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, I'm sure. It's what every Jewish boy would learn how to do. And so he had all the answers. He knew all the prophets and the prophecies. And he had knowledge of everything leading to Jesus. But he chose not to follow him and worship him until one day he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He went from persecuting Christians. He was going to Damascus to persecute more Christians. And something happened to him. He met Jesus on that road. And Jesus became personal to him because Paul finally realized he realized he needed a Savior. He came face-to-face with his, his sin, and he knew he needed a Savior. Is Jesus personal to you? Has there been, there been a moment in your life where you knew that, that he's called you by name? Is there a moment in your life where you knew that you didn't just make a mistake in this life? You have sinned against a holy God who's creator of the universe, who, who, uh, who has established the foundation of the earth, that you've sinned against a holy God, and then you trusted that he gave his life on a cross for you to have life, to cover your sins and have eternal life. Have you trusted him as Savior and Lord of your life? This is an invitation for everyone, by the way. This is an invitation for even the wise men who are Gentiles and not Jewish. For everyone. Do you know him personally? 
If not, here's my encouragement to you. Ask questions. Go on a quest. Investigate. Investigate what, what is this all about and discover the joy of knowing him. Because I'm telling you, whenever you seek, you will find. He will honor and respond to our requests. The third thing that, thing that they found out was this. They needed scripture to point them in the right direction. See, whatever extraordinary uses that God may have given, he always did it on the backdrop of Scripture. He always brings us to his word in order for us to meet the living word, the Son of God. Alistair Begg said this, There's no way to God except through the Christ of God, who is delivered to us in the word of God. See, God's word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. If you need clarity, if you have questions about life, just we go to the text, we go to his word because... His word has answers to our life's questions. And he will always respond to them. The fourth and final thing that they discovered was this. They discovered that worship was their only response. Worship means to ascribe worth, worth-ship. Ascribe worth to something, to adore, to place a high value on. And, and you see, they, they journeyed all this way, and they finally made it to the house. You notice how he didn't say a stable? You notice how he didn't say a cave? And by the way, like, we're not even 100% sure that Jesus was born in a stable or a cave. We just assume that because we assume that there had to be animals because the manger was a feeding trough for animals, right? And so we assume. So, so let's say they, they were born. he was born in a, a, a stable or a cave. That's fine. They made their way to a house at some point because it says they made their way to a house. So they were in a house and they came up on this house and you know what they found? They found toddler Jesus. They didn't find baby Jesus. They found toddler Jesus. So what would he have been like as a toddler? I know what my little girl is like as a toddler and we're just, we're just hoping that our ornaments make it through Christmas. You know what I mean? What was baby Jesus like as a toddler? And I wonder if Mary and Joseph had a hard time potty training as much as we do. I mean, our little girl, side note, been potty training for a long time. She was six months potty trained. She was like, man, we're, we're such great parents. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden she made a de- declaration. I'm no longer going in the potty. I'm going to go on myself and other people. And you know what? She's done it. She's held, held true to her commitment there. What does it look like? But you know what their response was when they came to toddler Jesus? I don't know what it looked like. They walked into a room and maybe saw him playing in the corner somewhere. I don't know. You know what their response was? To bow down and worship. Because they know what they saw, what they encountered, was the mediator between God and man. The wise men had so much passion for the king. They were willing to travel a long distance. They left their home, they left the comfort of their home to travel such a long way just to see the king. That's the passion that we as believers should be seeking him daily with. And I wonder why it's so easy to lose our passion. I get it, because we go throughout life, and 
we have the daily grind of life and the, the work and school and all these things. And, and eventually those things, this, the cares of life, kind of take away our passion if we're not careful. Even in this Christmas season, we can get so caught up in the hype and commercialization that we forget about King Jesus. We forget to make him a priority. We forget because we're just so distracted. And by the way, the things that we get distracted by are rarely as important as what we get distracted from. So when the Magi found Jesus, Scripture says this. They fell down and worshipped him. I imagine there was a reverence in the place that was so tangible, that was so palatable. I wonder if our worship today pales in comparison to what that. I wonder, I wonder if we would recognize the holiness of God as they did whenever they make God in flesh. And when, our, we, we, when we discover that our, our response is worship, here's what we understand. We understand that our worship will cost us something. Worship always costs us something. It should cost us something. Sacrifice, surrender, our lives. And we also understand our worship is a reflection of who's on the throne of our lives. Who's on the throne of your life? We all worship something. The, the question is, what do you worship and who do you worship? We all worship something. The question is, if people were to evaluate your worship, what would they see? What would they say matters to you most? A guy by the name of Sinclair Ferguson said this, where God is at the center of things, worship inevitably follows. Where there is no spirit of worship, their God has been dethroned and displaced. So what and, and how we worship matters. And finally, whatever, by whatever means we come to Jesus, we didn't come in arrogance. We come in humility, realizing that he did something for us that we could never do for ourselves well, I love the picture, the mental picture of what's going on here. Is it, is it, if a president were to walk in any room, typically people would what? Stand up. They would rise out of reverence and respect. Whenever a general walks into a, a base or walks into a room full of military guys and full of soldiers, what do those soldiers do? They rise. If Jesus were to walk in this room, we would all bow and worship. So you can call them magi, you can call them wise men, you can call them kings. I don't care what you call them. But these guys, remember, were the first in recognized New Testament scripture to bow and worship King Jesus. And this Christmas season, we would do well to do likewise. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you're subscribed and get notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.